depends on something. You look at a painting. I remember when I was in my undergraduate work at Carson Newman, everybody had to take a fine arts class. Everybody. And I knew better than to take the one on the so-called masters. Okay? Because if you look at most of what Picasso painted, it looks like he was tripping on acid when he did it. All right? And the only way you're going to appreciate Picasso is if you're tripping on acid. And so I took photography. And at one point, the professor had us looking at abstract art. And I used that very carefully because I didn't see it as art. You look at something that a monkey could have painted, all right, and, and you tell me that that's a picture of whatever. Well, that's subjective truth because it may be or it may not be, all right? But if I go and, and sit for a portrait and somebody paints that and you say, that's Larry Jones, that's objective truth because it's 100% truth. <coughs> this book is objective truth. All right? I am a child of God not because of anything that I feel. In fact, it doesn't matter how you feel. I am a child of God because God says I am. God says that I am, and if I ever doubt it, all I have to do is go to His book and read it again and let Him tell me that I am His child. In fact, in what we're looking at this morning, we're going to see God's autograph in one of these books or in one of these verses because God is going to say that He's the author. Now, what I want us to understand, we're going to come to one of the scariest verses to me in all of the Bible. But I want you to understand that all of us are building something. We are all building something with our lives. What are we building? Hosea chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. And in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's all stand. Put the trumpet to your lips. Like an eagle, the enemy comes against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. They cry out to me, My God, we of Israel know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have appointed princes, but I did not know it. With their silver and gold they have made idols for themselves, that they might be cut off. He has rejected your calf, O Samaria, saying, My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For from Israel is even this, a craftsman made it, so it is not God. Surely the calf of Samaria will be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It yields no grain. 
Should it yield, strangers would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. They are now among the nations like a vessel in which no one delights. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey all alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Even though they hire allies among the nations, now I will gather them up and they will begin to diminish because of the burden of the king of princes. Since Ephraim has multiplied altars for sin, they have become altars of sinning for him. Here's God's autograph. Though I wrote for him 10,000 precepts of my law, they are regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial gifts, they sacrifice the flesh and eat it. But the Lord has taken no delight in them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish them for their sins. They will return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces. And Judah has multiplied fortified cities. But I will send a fire on its cities that it may consume its palatial dwellings. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. We pray, O oh God, that as you illumine the heart and mind of Hosea when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning as well, and help us to understand and apply your word to our lives. Father God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart. We offer to you our love our lives, and this prayer, in and through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, one of the most important things, I'm just going to pick back up on that song again. One of the most important things that we can understand, beloved, is what God thinks about us. All right? That makes all the difference in the world. Okay? It makes all the difference in the world. And for us to truly understand what God thinks about us, we need to understand God. We need to have a proper understanding of God. Now, I think in the church of the 20th and the 21st century, by and large, most people have, have neglected their doctrine of God. We don't talk about, listen, I've said it in the past, we can drive down the road here a little bit, and we're going to come across churches that have free will in their name. Any free will theology absolutely destroys the sovereignty of God. Do you understand that? You cannot have free will and the sovereignty of God in the same place. They're, they're mutually exclusive. All right? And so you can tell just by driving by that their understanding, their doctrine of God is deficient. Now, I'm not picking on them. It just, it, it just stands out. It's low-hanging fruit, beloved. When you begin to study theology... The very first thing that you do is that you begin to talk about what can we know. See, that's the problem with modern science today. Science believes that it can know and understand everything. Science believes that it can mediate all truth to us. It cannot. It can only describe what it can measure. Does that make sense? 
And we're talking about things. They're talking about all this stuff and quarks. And, and we get down theoretically into the submolecular level into things that they can't see, but they are inferring. Okay? Science can only describe to us what it can measure. And the problem with science today is that most people that study it have never had a course in the philosophy of science to understand what the parameters and the limits of science are. And yes, there are limits to what science can do. And so when we begin to study theology, we, we begin by understanding the scope of what theology is. How do we come about this knowledge of God? What is the relationship of theology to philosophy? How do we come to understand the doctrine of God? Now, in the systematic theology book that I used in seminary, all right, that rascal is that thick. I still got it. It sits right above where I write my sermons at my computer. So that if I ever get myself confused, that I, which is pretty often, by the way, that I can go and open that book and do a little bit of reading and, and refresh my mind and my memory. In that systematic theology textbook I used in seminary, the first six chapters outline... Well, I'm going to take exception to that. My watch just said I'm in a loud environment. <laughs> Bless God, I'm doing a good job this morning then, right? The first six chapters outline what theology is and how to do it. The next five chapters are in a section entitled Knowing God. The next four are in a section What God is Like. And the next five are What God Does. Fourteen chapters on the doctrine of God. The major problem with Israel was that they had forgotten their doctrine of God. See, to them... Breeding was more important than theology. They thought, remember what they said to Jesus? They thought that because they were Abraham's grandchildren, that everything between them and God was okay. Aren't you glad that we don't do that? Listen, beloved. There's an awful lot of Southern Baptists that think just because they're Southern Baptists, everything is okay between them and God. It may be, and I hope it is. But it doesn't have anything to do with the name that's on the sign of our church. It has to do with our personal relationship with the living Christ. And these people thought that they could, I mean, they thought they could do everything. Israel has rejected the good, God said. They've set up kings, but not by me. They've set up kings, but not by me. Did, did, did you remember what our brother read for us this morning? Back in 1 Kings 2, David says to his son, Keep the charge of the Lord your God. 
Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His ordinances, and His testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. You don't know how to be successful in life? I just read it to you. I just read it to you. It's not new. You do what God has told you to do. The way that God told you to do it. God said, as I said in in verse 12, though I write for him 10,000 precepts of my law, they are regarded as a strange thing. Listen, beloved, when the Word of God becomes a strange thing to us, we got a problem. The Word of God ought to be the most familiar thing that we have in all of our life. Now, here's the problem. If I ask right now, everybody in this room, that, you know, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Fallen short of the glory of God. If you're in that subset and I ask you to raise your hand, I expect just about every hand in the room would go, go up. But if I then said, okay, you can put your hands down. Now, raise your hand again if you think that your sin is bad enough to send you to hell. Probably wouldn't be too many hands going up. See, we all understand and acknowledge that we are flawed individuals. But we don't think that our sin is as bad as the next guy, whoever our favorite punching bag is that day. Well, at least I'm not like him. Remember the Pharisee? At least I'm not like him. How dare he call out to you, O God? He's a sinner. Well, how dare he not call out to God? At least that man recognized his sin. Instead of looking for sin in the life of everybody around him. When people reject the truth that they sin and that God will judge them for it, their rejection is based upon ignorance, spiritual blindness, misleading arguments, or self-deception. Scripture says that there is only one way. Only one way that we can ever become acceptable to God, Ephesians 1.7, in Him. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Let me tell you, I've told you in the past, you know, there's a, in Greek and in a lot of other languages it's easier to see this because of verb tenses. But there's a tense of verb, even in English it's a passive tense. And a passive verb means that the, the action of the verb is performed upon the subject. Okay? Alright? The pulpit is being hit. Alright? The action hit was being performed upon the pulpit. It didn't have anything to do with it. It just sat there and took it. It just had the action performed upon it. And everything in this verse says that in Him, and I would even add in Him and in Him alone, 
We have redemption through His blood, not through my blood, not through the blood of a goat, not through the blood of a sheep, not through the blood of anything else. In His blood, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Without this forgiveness, we are not acceptable to God and He will judge us for our sin. Let me get to the point. God tells us in this in this chapter that we either remember Him or He's going to remember our iniquity. Hello? We either remember Him or He's going to remember our iniquity. Verses 1 through 6. Shofars. It's a ram's horn. Again, for the translators of the King James and for the translators of other uh, versions of Scripture like the New American Standard here, a trumpet. I mean, it, it's just something that, that that brings up that image in our mind, but it's not, you know, like Louis Armstrong, okay? When we think trumpet, we think somebody like Louis Armstrong. When you hear trumpet in the Bible, no matter what translation it is, you need to hear shofar, a ram's horn. And they would blow that for various reasons. But God is saying, blow this ram's horn and call God's people here. But He's also saying that I am using this trumpet not to call God's people, but to call the Assyrians to come and take over my people because they have transgressed. Verse 2. They knew about God but they didn't know God. I said they knew about God. They had read the book on theology, but they didn't know God personally. They didn't have a relationship with Him. Matthew 7, and 23, Jesus said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know what most people make a, a mistake about with the Bible? They think that this book is aimed at lost people. Taint true. This book is aimed at the people of God to learn how to relate to God and to learn how to talk to lost people to get them to come and acknowledge God and God's sovereignty over their life. Throughout the Old Testament, listen, beloved, everything in the prophets, there is not a thing in the prophets that is addressed to the lost pagan nations. It is addressed to God's people because they're not behaving like God's people. All of the Gospels, everything that Jesus said was addressed to the religious leaders of the church of His day. It wasn't addressed to the pagans. Not once did Jesus go into the temple of Zeus and cleanse it. He walked into the temple of Almighty God and cleansed it because church people had defiled it. 
All of the letters of the New Testament are not saying, listen, you bunch of heathens and you bunch of pagans out there, y'all need to get your act straight and stop doing all of this stuff. No, it is written to the churches, to God's people, telling them, here's how to live the life that God has called us to do. Now, does that make more sense to us? Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? These are church people. And did we not in Your name cast out demons? Why? Listen, why would Satan let us cast out a demon in the name of Jesus if we weren't really Jesus's to lull us into a false sense of security? Okay? That demon that we just cast out is collateral damage to Satan. He's got a bunch more. All right? And we think, well, I got rid of that demon. I'm, it's all about me. No. And in your name perform many miracles. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Verse 3. They had called leaders. See, we, we read this stuff about kings and princes, and we're going, we're out. We don't do that kind of thing. Okay? Yeah, I'll go there. When we decide who's going to be the man of God, who's going to be the pastor of a church, we are playing with fire if we're not consulting God for who His choice is. The Bible is very clear. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, the Bible is very clear about the qualifications for a pastor and for a deacon. And if we turn that thing into a popularity contest, if we turn that thing into who do I want, who's got the most charisma, who can benefit us the most, then, then we are, we are in, 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 in deep trouble. Those who followed their own wisdom in the choice of leaders inevitably get what they deserve. <laughs> I could preach on that for a while too, but I won't. Verse 5, your calf is rejected as literally your calf stinks. And Hosea then lists five reasons that God is going to send the Assyrians after them. Verse 1, the people had broken their covenant with God and rebelled against His law. They had said, we will do everything that God says. God said, if you'll do this, I will be your God and you will be my people. And they said, we'll do it, God. And they didn't. They refused to keep their promise. And they actually opposed and rebelled against Him. Second, the people had made a false profession. Verse 2. They pretended to believe in the Lord and His Word, but their profession was just hypocritical lip service. You know, I, I, I've told you that it's easy in the state of Tennessee to identify those people that have in God We Trust license plates. It's the first three. If the first three characters are numbers, that's an in God we trust license plate. And I get people, I see people all the day, that, every day that says in God we trust on the license plate and they're driving like they want to meet him that afternoon. All right. Or they'll cut you off. Or they'll, they'll give you the old one-fingered salute. You know, one of my readings in, in the Bible this week where I'm at in my daily Bible reading was James 3. 
Do I need to go there? Brothers and sisters, it ought not be this way, James said. With the same lips you bless God and you curse man. It ought not be that way, he said. Third, the people had rejected what was good. Verse 3, it means truly seeking and believing in the Lord. And fourth, they had chosen leaders without seeking God's guidance. And fifth, they had used their own imagination to create idols for themselves. They'd used their wealth to build worship centers and images of their so-called gods. Verses 7 through 10. It will seem to Israel that the judgment they receive is worse than the sin they committed. Okay? How many of y'all, listen, when you were a youngin' and mom or daddy had to have intense fellowship with you, you know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all thought that that was just? How many of y'all, when it was all over, said, Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Daddy, for spanking me and for for protecting me from my own self. We didn't. We thought that the punishment was unreasonable. Okay? Or maybe you got caught out after curfew and you got grounded until you were 47. Okay, that's a little unreasonable. 45 probably would have been enough. Okay? But there was a reason that our parents did that. It's because they loved us and they cared for us and they wanted us to learn the lesson. And Israel does not want to learn the lesson. Two reasons God was going to judge me. He says that they were sowing the wind. Sowing the wind. You know, if, if you're planting a crop or something that you have to broadcast the seed... Do you not pay attention to the forecast for the wind the day you plan to do it? Because you don't want the wind to blow what you're broadcasting away. Because you know that then you're just sowing the wind and you're not going to have anything to harvest. That you're not going to have anything to, to grow. And God is telling them, listen to me, beloved, that every decision has consequences. A person's actions will come back to them. If one starts trouble or takes actions in spite of the discontent they cause, they will incur negative consequences. And second, the people were being swallowed up by the wicked nations around them. Let me put it to you plainly. Not only were they in the world, they were of the world. They were of the world. And they, listen, they were trying to baptize Baal. They were trying to say, you know, this, this just helps me. This just helps me in my worship of God. And, and it kind of covers an area in my life that God doesn't take care of. Well, anyway. For generations, God had been patient with the people, but He could no longer tolerate their wickedness and distrust of Him. Verses 11 through 13. When you build an altar for sin, what do you intend to do on that altar? 
you intend to sin. Okay? And that's what God says they were doing. They were building altars so that they could sin on them. And they rejected the Word of God. God had great things in store for them, but they knew nothing about them because their hearts were far from Him and God's Word seemed like a strange thing. Verse 12 tells us that the author of the Bible, God Himself, wrote this book. There is a great quote from Spurgeon about how a lot of people treat the Bible, but time's failing us. Do you understand that there is nothing in the Bible that is unimportant? Every verse in it has meaning. Verse 12 tells us how they received the Word of God. It tells us that they received the Word of God the way a natural person does. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Listen, beloved, do you understand that the natural person doesn't understand why you came into this room and let me holler at you for a couple of hours this morning? They don't understand that. They don't get it. They don't understand why you would want to read a book that, that, that some parts of it are over 4,000 years old. And that you would be so dedicated to it. They don't understand how you can possibly think that this guy Jesus that was put to death by, by the Romans was resurrected. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. You see, beloved, the Word of God and the things of the Spirit are great things, but they seem like a strange thing when one is involved in sin and idolatry. They treated God's Word as if it were a book written for foreigners. They thought that God's Word didn't apply to them. Therefore, they could do what they wanted when they wanted Verse 13 tells us they brought sacrifices to God. They were still going through the motions. I mean, the men still had the phylacteries bound up on their, on their foreheads and on their wrists. They were still curling their hair the right way. They were still wearing their prayer shawls the right way. They were going to church and making the sacrifices. Wink, wink, nod, nod. But it was all an outward ceremony because they were still steeped in sin and idolatry. Their sin remained uncovered and God says, I'm going to remember their iniquity and punish their sin. But verse 13 ought to break our hearts. The result of the people's wicked behavior and false worship was tragic. God was forced to remember their wickedness and pronounce judgment upon them. They would return to bondage. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. Beloved, Our sins are either dealt with 
1 Peter 2, 24, by being born by the Lord Jesus Christ in his body on the, Christ, uh, on the cross so that we might die to sin. Or verse 13, now God will remember our iniquity. Those are the only two options, beloved. Verse 14. They had mislaid God. That's what it, what it means. Israel has forgotten his maker. Have you ever had some money that you needed to, you know, you needed to kind of squirrel away somewhere? And you wanted to put it in a place where if a thief broke into your house, it wouldn't be the first place that they'd look, like in your sock drawer or something like that. And so you came up with this brilliant place to hide the money. And then when you needed it, you can't remember where you put it. Okay? That's what it's saying. See, they had laid God aside and they had forgotten where they put Him. They didn't care about His interest. They didn't bother with Him. They neglected Him. And they trusted gods of their imaginations and works of their own hands. All who forget the Lord and place their trust in human ability doom themselves. Their rejection of God separates them from the Creator. God sent His Son into the world to reveal this fact to us and save us. Jesus said that all unbelievers, all who reject and rebel against or curse and deny the Lord are doomed to be eternally separated from God. They are to be set apart in a place called hell, a place of fiery torment. Beloved, if we sow to the flesh, we will of the flesh reap corruption. May the Lord God give us to lean upon Him who has loved us and loosed us from our sins with His own blood. May we never forget.